Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting firm RiderFlex. If you enjoyed today's guest interview, please give it a like and be sure to subscribe to the RiderFlex podcast. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Nick Cavuto on the RiderFlex podcast. How you doing, Nick? Awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. It's it's a real pleasure, Steve. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to getting to know you. I I love your stuff. I was obviously doing homework on you this morning. I'm on the treadmill watching some of your some of the YouTube stuff and you know looking you up. So I'm you know interested to know more about the story for sure. Uh, before we get into your business and your services and everything you're offering right now. Before we get into that, tell me about Nick, the person. Like, I wonder what, what, what's going on? Mom, dad, siblings, early life, where you grew up. Give me some of that if you don't mind. Yeah, man, absolutely. So I was born and raised in New York. Um, I live in Denver, Colorado now, and born and raised in New York and a uh, son of a preacher. So uh, that's oh. kind of where my journey started. Um, yeah. So I've been around, you know, uh, professional communicators my entire life. Um, and so a lot of people ask me the question of like, where'd you get such a knack for communication? Right. Well, I was like, well, when you're in church for three times a week from the times you were three, you were three years old, uh, you kind of <laughs> get a feeling for what works and what doesn't. So yeah, man, I grew up in New York, um, you know, really faith centric home, um, you know, and that had its own, you know, uh, pros and cons and a lot learned, great foundation set. And you know, I think that everybody uh, has the issue when it comes to spirituality on hypocrisy. It's a human condition, not a spiritual one. And um, I learned that very early on that we are imperfect people trying to do our best. And uh, I think that should be extended to everybody. And uh, let me tell you, I was a big judge of that, you know, in my late teens of, well, these people say one thing, they do something different. Right. It's a human oh, condition. Yeah. We're doing our best. Right. So, yeah. yeah, youngest of three boys. Uh, my oh. mom's been in medical for um, uh, 35, 40 years. My dad was a fourth generation entrepreneur. I'm a fifth generation entrepreneur um, because my dad had businesses and also uh, led a church. And um, so, yeah, a lot of good roots, man. A lot of good roots. What uh, What are some of the businesses he he owned and, and uh, is he still active or retired? Well, my father was a street pharmacist before he met Jesus. So um, if that gives you an idea from the time he was 13 to 30, he actually was a drug dealer. So no, that business has ended. <laughs> um, but yeah, then my grandfather owned uh, five franchises. Um, and um, so my dad actually ran them when he got out of, you know, uh, a legal, uh, you know, business activity. My grandfather said, you have no respect for money because my dad had so much money. And he said, so if you want to work for me, you can work for me. It'll be a dollar an hour and you got to work 90 hours a week. And that's how my dad rebuilt his life. <laughs> uh, what, uh, just curious, any defining particular moment when your dad found uh, Jesus and kind of switched his life? Was there like a, did he do some jail time? Did something, something major happen that caused the switch? I'm just curious. Yeah, you know, my father um, never saw the backseat of a police car somehow, um, oh, you know, by wow. the grace of God that happened. Okay. And um, yeah, so he never spent time uh, doing time, 
but he actually broke into a church to let my grandmother and his sister in because they were going to a revival. This is probably in like the seventies. And he broke into the church to let them in because the doors were locked for three extra hours because they had the wrong time. They convinced him to stay. He stayed and his uh, life was transformed from that point forward forever. Wow. Okay. What yeah. denomination? I'm just curious. What, what was it? Pentecostal? Yeah. Or what, what was it? Yeah. It was AG assemblies of God originally um, for my dad. And uh, wow. yeah, so wow. we grew up Pentecostal people run around with swords and all kinds of crazy stuff. But um, when you subtract the wild things that would be highly misunderstood out of context, I think at the end of the day, you know, the people who I know that we spent time with had the right heart and intent around what they did. And to me, that was noble. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Were you, uh, the rebel brother were you the good kid <laughs> were you the were you the straight arrow were you what where were you in the mix there golden child um complex um and i didn't know it and that was kind of the benefit right my middle brother was the one who kind of took all the arrows um and so by the time my parents got around to me being the youngest of three um they were just like just please don't die and 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 honestly <laughs> the permission basis to make my own mistakes and to be independent you know um i was talking to my dad you know a couple weeks ago and um i you know he's like man i really miss you i really do like i really just miss spending time with you and he still lives back in new york oh he does and i said i said dad you know um you did a great job you know you raised a man and that uh, dr jordan peterson talks about it that the real um you know quantitative measure of a man is what happens when their father dies uh, mm. or when they no longer need him. That's when they become a real man. Mm. And that's my interpretation to my dad was the benefit of our relationship being at where it's at now, which is more on this mentor type of level mm. um, and less of like sonship of dad, I need you to tell me what to do is mm. because he did such a great job. And that was yeah. a total flip of the script for him. Mm, okay. So you never got in any major trouble yourself. No, no, never, yeah. man. I flew under the radar, man. I threw the most badass high school parties. I, I had so much fun, but I always did it at other people's houses. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it was a lot of fun, man. It was a lot of fun, you know? Um, but yeah, no, nothing too crazy. I mean, I fell okay. out of college twice at 19. Um, you know, it's the second time around that I fell out of college. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And so my dad said, well, why don't you come home and serve at that time he was done in the church world so he's like why don't you serve at our church and just go help out and that's where my marketing career began right there really okay yeah. uh, but you did yeah. end up getting your bachelor's though eventually but i did but i did eventually I yeah yeah okay so you came back to new york um so you, could, you dropped out of college you came back home we're at by the way we're at in new york uh rochester so upstate okay okay yeah. okay yeah. all right so you came back home uh were you very were you uh I mean, were you, are you still religious, still super religious, conservative, straight arrow now? Uh, and were you coming, were you then when you came back home or were you like fighting and like, I don't want to do this? I guess that's a two part question. Yeah, I was, I was fighting, man. I was fighting. You know, we got kicked out of a, my brothers and I got kicked out of a private Christian school when we were, I was about 15. Um, and it was based on the premise of one of my brothers did something and over the summer and, you know, they they uh punished with you know a hard with with a hard wooden stick you know proverbially uh, yeah, uh yeah. metaphorically yeah. rather um so it was like one mistake and you're out and so we got kicked out and getting rejected from a community it doesn't matter how this happens in business and life and career within a company um that stings right and and you carry that scar for you know a certain amount of time and so when that happened i said well 
these people are the people who say they love Jesus, but these are the people who also were the ones who rejected him. Um, and, and so I kind of had this chip on my shoulder and went yeah. down the path of a lot of drugs and alcohol and all, all that kind of stuff. And so at 19, no, I did, I did not have, I had the foundation, you know, and, and the good book says that if you, if you, you know, raise them in the ways of, of God, then they'll return. And, and it was mostly that for me of just, I went to college in Palm beach, Florida, yep. and I just was a reckless maniac. And, and I was just like, dad, I need to come home. Bit okay. of a prodigal son moment. And I did. And, um, no, I, I, and, and to this day, you know, I ended up working in ministry. I worked at that church that I went and served at and went from an intern to number two in the organization and built it from a thousand and 10,000 people every weekend. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that's where I learned event marketing, podcasting, personal branding. It all happened in the context, uh, that's very different that? than what most people understand. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And are you still faithful now? absolutely absolutely still faithful now bring the kids to church every sunday you know it's not an act for me of um of just attending for the sake of uh you know sanctification um you know i believe jesus is exactly who he said he was he was the biggest liar to ever exist and after being in the faith you know circle for 31 years um because i'm 34 and you know it's a time i can remember so for the last 31 years, it's deducted in a way to that, but it's also, I think, pure in that way because all the minutia around that, you know, financial giving and tithing and, you know, um, what you can say, what you can't say, you know, yeah. Peter was a cussing sailor who chopped a dude's ear off because, you know, he got pissed off that they were trying to take his friend away. And <laughs> I think that people are just gonna be very surprised when they get to heaven and they see who's there. So that's my opinion. <laughs> okay. So in other words, you can, you can have a beer, you can say a curse word. It's all, it's all good. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, you know, God examines the heart. And so as long as we are in right standing, be it that, you know, our faith basis is strong, the cornerstone is there. You know, I think that uh, judgment is, is created by man. I, I don't, I don't see, you know, judgment happening post Jesus, right? So be it new Testament, it used to be the law. Now it's relation, it's relationship. And that is a, is a matter of the heart. And, um, so mm -hmm. that's where I sit on it, you know? Okay. Um, Very good. Well, yeah. I appreciate you sharing, sharing that with me, by the way, coincidentally, I grew up in Oklahoma and, uh, oh, there you go. My, my mom was assembly of God. And uh, so I can fully relate. Oh yeah, brother. <laughs> Cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Uh, there was a moment where, uh, we'll, we'll get off this topic and move on, but there was a moment I was a senior in high school. My mom was divorced and, uh, it was me and my mom my brother had went to live with my dad. And so uh, my mom was still single. She was by herself. I was living there as a senior. And of course I was re rebelling and doing everything a oh, yeah. 17, 18 year old does. And, uh, you know, she, those assembly God folks, man, they, they want you, they want you in church. Right. And so oh yeah, my mom, you know, it was a Sunday afternoon. I think it was like spring or summertime or something. My mom's like, Hey, you know, Sunday night, we need to, we need to go. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going. She goes, yeah, yeah, you are. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> and we had this battle in the front yard. I remember she took my keys. And she said, well, you're not going anywhere without your keys. And I said, well, I keep an extra one uh, underneath the car with one of those magnet holders. Thing. You know, I, went, I went and got it. I went and got it and drove off. And uh, that was kind of a defining moment where I was like, look, you know, I, I believe in God and I'm, I'm cool with all that. And I, I'll say my prayers, but, but damn, I mean, I just, I don't, 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 don't make me go three times. A week. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I totally get it. Totally get it, man. 
Uh, anyway, yep. all right. So you go back home. Um, you you kind of lo- you know you're you're around speakers and people that that uh, have great people skills and speech and marketing. You're kind of just around all of that, I guess, from an mm-hmm. early early stage. So you're back home with your dad. Then what happens? Walk me through it, career wise. Yeah, absolutely. So um, came home 2007. I was 19. Uh, served at the church for two years, uploading podcasts. You know, helping out with this is, you know, this is 2007, you know, so it's like this is uploading like, podcast then. This is like, yeah, this, OG is, stuff. this is when there was like 20 podcasters on LinkedIn. Totally, totally, <laughs> dude. Yeah, it was next level, right? And um, so, yeah, so I started doing that, uh, went to number two in the organization. Um, then I got a seat at the table um, just because osmosis, the learning of osmosis and being in church your whole life, you understand how things function. And so, even if there was somebody who was 20 years senior than me, you know, if they were only a part of the church infrastructure for the last 10 years, I still had 10 years on them and I was, you know, 20 years younger. <laughs> so that was the cool thing. We were exposed to a lot of the how and how things worked, how they operated and how the system operated very, very young. Um, so I had that unique knowledge and I was given permission very, very early. I mean, I was managing an eight figure budget when I was 20, you know, four, 25 cool. years old. Right. Um, so a lot of permission early on, uh, built six multi-site locations for, for that church. Um, wanted to go to Hillsong to kind of further my studies because I was ordained, but I wanted to like go through the actual steps of, you know, learning in a, in a different format and also wanted proximity to other world leaders. And um, yeah, my pastor said, no, you're not going to do that. You're not going to go. And I was like, why? why? Oh, that's interesting. You know, he's like, I just don't think it's right for you. I said, well, that's weird because I prayed and fasted for 30 days and I felt like it was the right thing to do. So this is a battle between your thoughts and God's, you know, decree mm. in a way. Mm. And so it was really mm. hard, mm. Mm. but he just, you know, what I realized was I made his life so much better and in business, when you have an integrator, mm. somebody who can take your vision and make it come alive while you can enjoy finally taking a restful moment. Um, it's rather magical. I mean, it's one of the best things in business you'll ever find is a true partner who can, you know, take your vision and make it come to reality. That's what I did for them. And, uh, and so I said, you know what? All right, all good. If you're not going to let me go, then I'm out. Wow. All right. No one's putting their right. sword in front of me. So I peaced right. out. I went to a medical startup, you know, implemented HubSpot, $100,000 in advertising spend, $5 million in the bank for the company. That's when I knew that I had a gift that translated not only from, you know, ministry, but translated into the business world. Now, and now, you're, a full blown, now you're a full-blown marketing, you know, executive marketing expert now you're you're on to your career boom it's going okay yeah at that point when i was like if i get told no that that becomes a problem you know a chip on the shoulder <laughs> is not a bad thing not a bad thing you know momentum uh, is, is solves 80 percent of the problems anyone has in in business or in life and so but, by the way was your dad uh, disappointed was he like son i really want you to be a pastor blah 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 any of that yeah but he um our relationship was always a little difficult and I think that he knew that if he pushed on that too hard, okay. it would have pushed me away forever. Yeah. Okay. Or at least for a long period of time. So All he right. just said, you know what? I get it. I'm here for you. I'll support you. My dad's incredible now. I mean, yeah, he was, he was, he was a wild man early on in life, but he's incredible. Uh, Very supportive. Yeah, I, bet, I bet he's got some cool stories. <laughs> oh God. I, yeah. I can't wait to do an interview with him. Yeah. He's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> all right so you go to what do you go to you go to uh correct me if i'm wrong six months of smiles and then paychecks yeah. and then uh alarm new england several several stops here as you're kind of moving through your career um 
what happens? Do you eventually say, I want to do my own thing? I'm tired of working for somebody else. Walk me through the entrepreneurial. Well, you were kind of an entrepreneur early, but then you now you're, you know, you're, you spent a few years as an employee. What happens there with the transition when you decide I'm going to open up my own agency, my own firm? Yeah. So when I went to Six Months Miles, which was the primary competitor to Invisalign, I see. Um, I, I basically went there with, you know, on a, on a, uh, on a recommendation from one of my buddies, cause I didn't have my degree at that time. So someone had to really understand that I knew what I was doing and get me a, a foot in the door. Okay. So I got my foot in the door. Um, I went and studied inbound marketing through HubSpot. It just seemed like the most practical way to do marketing in a business. Okay. Um, and you know, I'm going into a legacy business. This is dentistry. I mean, they're 25 years behind in everything, even if they're a startup. Um, they may have a great product or idea. So you have an innovator, but the way they do business and how they market and all that, it's 25 years behind. So they were spending $10,000 a month in a print ad um, in Dentistry Today magazine, 10 grand a month. And wow. I said, we're getting three to five leads a month off of this because people have to literally fill a bubble sheet and mail it in. And that's how we get a lead. Ooh, and there's, wow. there's, there has to be a better way, right? And they're like, oh, oh no, it's industry wow. standard. You got to be in the magazine. Right. And I called BS on it. Yeah. And so it took me about 270 days, but finally I went in the CEO's office and I closed the door and he said, what's up? And I said, he lived in Dallas. This was in New York. I said, you're not going home to your family in Dallas until you give me a hundred grand. Conviction, right? I was like, go. and he was like, whoa, okay, well tell me more. And I was like, so here's the deal. I mean, I went above my CMO's head and everything. Cause I'd been talking to him about it, talking about it, talking about it. Finally, they said yes. And I scaled that from, five leads a month to 500 leads a month and broke the company. Uh, cool. We generated a ton of revenue by doing it, but I had conviction, I had competence and I had confidence. Mm -hmm. That is a deadly, absolutely deadly trait in order to be successful in your career. Um, and so when I blew up the company, I was there for about 18 months, I blew up the company. I was like, listen, I want more responsibility. I mean, total game changer. Uh, and they said, well, you can do some email marketing. I'm like, guys, I've been running the entire ecosystem of everything and you don't even know that I'm out, right? <laughs> like you don't even know what I'm doing. Like it's, there's oh, just oh, no hope. Wow. There's no hope. And the CMO, you and the CMO didn't have a good enough relationship. You were like, okay, I'm, I'm out. Yeah, I'm good. I think that he was in a time of life where he was probably in his late forties. He'd been in the industry for 20 some odd years. Okay. He just, just. The, the it's almost like the corporate mindset of three to 5% growth year over year. And I'm like, guys, this is a startup. This is absolutely innovative. What we're doing. We need to not play so safe that it's like our risk threshold is a one out of 10. And so him and I did not. Okay. He appreciated my vigor, but he was very, very slow grandma right. in a car. Yep. And I'm like in a Ferrari, like, or a jet, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Two different speeds. Uh all right. So you left, you go to, is, did you get recruited or did you know somebody when you went, I think you went to Paychex next or what happened? Yeah. Paychex is uh, headquartered in New York. Um, and my wife actually had at that time was working there as well. So, oh. um, and now, I did guys, know one you guy. Were you married already? Yeah. We got married oh. right before I left ministry. Yep. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So and in 2015, you... while I was frustrated at six months miles and implemented HubSpot, I saw Gary's Gary V's FU Monday video. And that's what got me thinking about doing my own thing. And so I started that behind the scenes while I was doing other corporate gigs and startup gigs. Um, but I started that in 2015 after I saw this video. I'm like, yeah, screw it. I'm just going to do what I want. Okay. Um, 
So I built that. I did a 40 page marketing plan for 400 bucks for my first client, which was hilarious uh, to look back on now. But I did that transition to paychecks, did know somebody there. Um, paychecks uh, had three underperforming kind of sub enterprise level solutions. And what they would do is they'd acquire companies for their technology, then take the technology and roll it into their full stack. So that's that's how paychecks grew. That's how they created you know, this whole human capital management type of system that Paylocity and ADP and all these other people followed. So I managed two, two parts of the business at in my mid to late 20s, which was three of the primary businesses that they they had acquired. Those sub brands were highly underperforming. Okay. So like less than 50% to goal. Wow. Then the integration through the through the product owners was not happening as well. So it's like we just in the minds of the executives, we just bought this amazing technology. Nobody can get it to integrate into our higher level because it's a leadership problem. It's not a tactical or strategy problem. It's a leadership problem. And then the second part was the the um, the three brands underneath. So these were all like siloed individual brands. They were all underperforming because they just lost their best people who just got bought out and acquired by a different company and the teams are frustrated and they're feeling like, you know, you know, the other executives were sellouts and all this crap. So it's just like high dysfunction. Yeah. It was a billion dollars worth of the $4 billion company. And they handed that to me at 27. Wow. So I was on mission, man. So same thing went the same route. They're all doing old school tactics. I go in and I'm like, why are we not doing social? Why are we not doing this? Why are we not doing that? I mean, I ran my first Facebook ad in 2009. <laughs> like people didn't even know there were ads then, right? I mean, it's 13 no. years ago. No. So very much a digital native in that way. And uh, yeah, you know, 50 to 110% to goal in the first three to six months on every single brand, fully integrated. I was there for 11 months and I was bored out of my mind. I mean, I wanted to gnaw my leg off and I just solved a billion dollar problem for one yep. of the biggest brands in the financial space. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. More evidence that you needed to just do your own thing. And you, you already had mm -hmm. that going in the background anyway. Okay, very good. Yeah, at that point I started I started, you know, very slowly scaling a, a digital agency and I had a just genius with helpers model. I had one of my homies from high school helping me out. Cool. So I would be able to handle a lot of the primary conversations at night and he would do the work during the day. And that worked really well. Um, but yeah, when I went to Alarm New England, which was a um uh it was a sub brand of Sonatrol, which is the largest commercial security provider. So they had a residential um kind of like a residential niche that uh, was franchised in the seventies. So you couldn't even get into it anymore. Like it was super old school, but these guys kept their book of business. Okay. And the gal who ran it was our account executive from HubSpot when I was at six months miles. So I got headhunted by a HubSpot executive right. to go take over marketing for her father's business. Meanwhile, you were already kind of doing your own thing on the side, mm -hmm. but you thought, ah, eh, you didn't have it going fast. You didn't have it going enough not to, to pass on that offer. So he went ahead and took it, I guess, as a W-2 employee. Totally. I mean, when I left ministry, I was making $40,000 a year working 80 hours a week, a lot of passion behind it, but it didn't pay well. Um, and I tried to solve that and they weren't willing to solve that either, of course. Yeah. Um, then when I went to six months miles, I made 52K a year, right? So I was like, all right, well, this is a jump up. I can at least get insurance for my family. You know, we'll have the benefits of working there, which was needed because I had a child in 2015 as well. So then there was that. Then when I went to corporate, it was a uh, 90K a year um, from 52. So that was a great jump. Then when I left, they repositioned my, uh, uh, reposted my position for 130K, which I felt like was BS. So that's like part of the scales, like this, this thing of like, 
you have the skill and ability. And I graduated college before I went into paychecks. So it was the end of 2016 or whatever, uh, around that time. So like all the right things were happening. I was building the business. I was having kids. I was, you know, all these right things were happening. And when I went to Alarm New England, it was name your price. Right. So I was like, great. Uh, 200K a year plus 200K in bonus if I hit what I want. Because Gary Vee said the 400K a year was the top 1% of earners in the US. So I just said 400K, 50-50. <laughs> and they were like, sweet, done. And I hit that goal every single... I hit the, my bonus every single month that I worked there for a year and a half. Okay. But still... The money, it wasn't about the money. It ended up. No, that, no, that, no, 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 no. The no. burning desire to just do your own thing and be an entrepreneur. It was there. So it didn't even matter how much you were making eventually. No, it's just to tell the story to people who are in a spot right now going, I'm making 40K a year, you know, and I want to do my own thing. And how does that happen? You know, Gary said, keep working in that corporate space and keep scaling and growing your income and do your side hustle at night. And that's what I chose to do. I mean, I built my business, you know, in a, in a bedroom with our you know old kitchen table. And, um, and that's how I made it happen. And, uh, you know, I'd never pivoted out of my role until I was making as much of my agency uh, that I was in my, in my job. So okay. I had to make 400 K in my agency in order to get out. Okay. And I did. And when I left alarm new England and went all in on my uh, social media agency, um, I forex the company in three months. Very good. Now that that's a great tip for the listeners. So yeah, you know, this whole like, Hey, quit your job and jump all into your, to your own company. I mean, you need to time it out properly, especially if you have a partner and kids and things like that. Like you can't just go from 200 K a year to zero. Like you need to build your business at night on the weekends, part-time, get some revenue going. I strongly recommend that. And it sounds like Nick here does as well. I Absolutely. recommend get, getting that side hustle going. Yes, you do eventually need to go all in and jump all in if you really want to take it to the next level, but you don't have to do that at first. You can start it part-time. Uh, hey, unless you got a bunch of money in the bank already saved up and you want to quit your job and go to zero, okay, I guess that's great. But if you don't, yeah, you, you should start it part-time. So good for you. You were doing it. You were hustling on the weekends and at night while you had a family and kids, which takes a lot of work. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So you had it going. And then one day you're like, okay, I'm good to go. You walked in and said, I quit. See ya. I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> yep. Basically. Exactly. And, uh, you know, they wanted to keep me on as a consultant. And um, yep. so okay. I told them well, what that I'll turn, I'll like. turn you into a client, for, you know, you're, you're a client. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried, you know, and they said yes till they said no. Um, and that's okay. kind of how the cookie crumbled. They just weren't willing to pay, you know, what what would be worth it for me to do it so i just walked away okay all right tell us about your business now and for the listeners real quick let's give them the uh, url and everything else um, for sure it man. is nick it is nick cavuto.com c-a-v-u-o-t-o nick cavuto.com yep. that's the best way to reach you is that accurate best way best way yep okay okay and nick also of course is available on linkedin you can go there and connect with him as well um tell us about the business as it stands today give us the the overview, go for it. Awesome. Uh, as of this time right now, what I'm focusing my time on is building entrepreneurial communities. You know, the thing that I did best in life was supporting high performers, very, very high performers, top 1% of the 1%, and gathering people together uh, that are all, ha all have a common cause and want to feel supported to, to feel seen, to be heard 
um, because we all need that level of support in order to achieve amazing things. You can look at Moses and he had two people on the side of him holding up his arms when he felt weak. Uh, you can look at any, you know, high performer, uh, like Michael Jordan, Jordan wouldn't be Jordan without Pippen. You know, a lot of times we think we can do it on our own until you get pummeled in the face. Like I did. And in COVID I lost a million dollars of you know recurring revenue in two days. <laughs> so when you face plant that hard and go like, now what? It's a huge, it's a huge thing to ensure that you have the support, not only of your spouse or partner or friends or family, but of other entrepreneurs. No one gets an entrepreneur like an entrepreneur. That's and I know true. most of us feel like, you know, you know, uh, <laughs> like fish in a world of giraffes um, because we're highly different. Our risk thresholds are very different. Our needs and desires and aspirations are highly different. And so we often spend our time feeling highly misunderstood. So I gather together entrepreneurs who are up to something like you've got to be up to something serious and up to something great. I put them into community with one another and uh, it's amazing what happens. I mean, I just gave one of my uh, guys in my mastermind six figures worth of deals just last week. Wow. So, okay. I mean, it's this is very, very high performing group um, and I'm connected to a lot of really incredible people. So that's what I do. So it's a mastermind it's called mentor mind and it's a mastermind and a mentorship program all wrapped in one, okay. um, you know, really to help entrepreneurs connect with the right people, avoid isolation and freaking rocket ship. I always say relationships are rocket ships. Uh, one I've never in my life made a bad investment being around the right people. Never. So true. How do you, um, do people fly in for this? Is it in person? Is it online? Talk to us about how you get involved and what it consists of and what, what's the price. Give us the whole thing. Yeah, so it's a it's a virtual mastermind. So we meet twice a month online, and then uh, usually about twice a year we'll do some type of meetup. And okay. um, yeah, so uh, we'll do a meetup. I'm thinking about the next mastermind that I'm going to do, and um, it's really centered around other people who want to build masterminds. So coaches, consultants, or subject matter experts who want to build a mastermind because they're actually interested in establishing their own community. They just don't know how. It's like well. Mm -hmm you know, running a church of 10,000 people, you have about 40 to 50% of those people in small groups. So I've managed 5,000 people inside of small groups. Um, and uh, that's a unique experience that and truly only I have. So I have the modeling for it. I mean, uh, you can you can easily hit a six figure run rate with your first mastermind in your first year. Mm. Um, and within five years, if you just build one a quarter, uh, it's a million dollars in recurring revenue. So then that's at the lowest end of what you can offer a mastermind for. Um, my masterminds are premium, so it, it really depends. You know, I have one that's 50K, I have one that's 25K, and I have one that's 10. It depends on the people who are coming in and what the program is for. I see. Those are the three different levels we can sign up for. Yep. Do you pay by the month? Do you pay for the full year? Do you have different plans? How does that work? Yeah, pretty simple. I just, I, I tell people, hey, here's, here's the total cost of it if you pay it all up front. Uh, excellent. And you'll get a discount for it. Usually it's like 20% off. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And, and if they um, want to pay monthly, then they can pay the monthly rate. Yeah. Okay. And the benefits of course, are like you said, being able to share, being able to learn, being able to express yourself, not feeling the loneliness of being an entrepreneur, also meeting people that, um, are maybe in the same line of work or have a, a business that could benefit yours because it's a need that you have. Can you, are there rules around, you know, sometimes with these types of groups, there's rules around being able to market or pitch or, 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 you know, uh, call one of the, the other guys and be like, Hey, by the way, Bobby, 
great meeting today. Uh, by the way, my name is Steve Urban. I own a recruiting firm, RiderFlex. Do you guys need talent? Can you do that? What are the rules around it? Yeah, I mean, my groups are highly relational. So my question is, if you went to a friend's house on Thanksgiving for Friendsgiving, how would you approach it? Mm, I like that. Because it's it's when people, they, they want, if they're going to purchase something, they want it to be their idea, not someone else's. And if you're in proximity to the right people, it's just a matter of time before someone says, so Steve, what do you do? Yeah. It, it's natural. It happens. And so that's where I think the high proximity relationships with the right people, the kryptonite for me is having the wrong people in the group. Mm. That's the bottom line. Like if I have different levels, like the mental performance coach for the New York Yankees, um, she, uh, I coached her one-on-one last year, at the beginning of last year. Um, and she was with the Yankees for five years. She's in one of my masterminds. Justin Bieber's creative director is in one of my masterminds. Um, Seven-figure, you know, author who wrote the book, You Were the Brand, is in my mastermind. Um, one of the top premier business coaches who no one even knows his name, but it's uh, he, him and Mike Michalowicz are like best friends, you know, the guy who wrote Profit First. Okay. Um, and they started together 10 years ago. He's in one of my masterminds. So th the group quality is very, very, very high. Um, and that's just going to continue to excel. And then there's early-stage entrepreneurs who basically are you know kind of in that earlier stage of business and so then there's the mid market the mid market usually wants to still generate money the people in the higher market understand they don't have time but they know that connections are the super highway so i just met um about i don't know uh six weeks ago i met the ceo of remax it was in his house in his living room it's not normal but that's the unique access that i get and then when people come into my masterminds i help them tremendously generate new business help them figure out product ideas help them be more successful. The thing that I always tell people is if you can't wield a pistol, don't pick up a bazooka. That's what I am. I'm like a javelin missile. Um, and so the wrong people use it, then they curse the missile or they curse the javelin because they're like, you know, on their ass 10 feet behind them because it's too powerful and they get knocked over when they shoot it. That's kind of what happens with me is, you know, people who have the ability, but don't have the discipline, will assume that I'm heroing them, not co-creating with them, which puts them in a victim state. And then they become a villain mm. and they attack the hero. Yeah, every hero gets crucified. Even if I don't mean to show up like one, if they're asking for help, then I'm going to be resourceful and help them. That's just, yeah. that's just how it works. So to answer your question very directly in my groups, when you're around other high performers who are best in class at what they do, they would never go to someone else besides you if they needed what you have. Gotcha. You just got to trust the process. Gotcha. Uh, what what does the session look like? Can you give me some sort of general idea? Is it thirty minutes? Is it an hour? Is it two hours? Is it is it structured? And okay, everybody, mm -hmm. tell me tell me about your problems this week, Johnny. Or how, what? Give me a flavor. Yeah, dude, for sure, man. So, uh, by the way, this is all on nickcavuto.com slash mentor mind. And right. so, for those who are listening, um, you can go in the FAQ section and see how they run. Um, but it's a ninety minute twice a month group. Uh, usually we kick it off with a welcome. I like to celebrate wins because I don't think entrepreneurs celebrate their wins enough. They're very hard on themselves. And, and, and uh, you know, our brain chemistry shifts when we have positive social experiences. Uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson has a whole study on that. Um, so I like to celebrate the wins early on. Uh, then as we continue, typically I'll share for a short amount of time or I'll invite, you know, a celebrity public figure, um, you know, somebody who's in the entrepreneurship kind of mega entrepreneurship space. David Melsner is coming in um, on our next on our next call to just come hang out with the group. Um, and again, that just happens through connections and touch points. So there's a lot of benefits to it. It's not just who's in the group, but who else you get access to. So um, 
So usually for 15 to 30 minutes, we'll do something like that special guest, um, or I'll do some type of foundational share, or I'll have someone in the group do a training. Okay. Then after that, we do hot seats. And uh, typically there's two to three hot seats per call. And hot seats are pretty easy. Like I just ask people, what's the number one challenge you're facing in life or business? You know, it's amazing because I am just as strong in what some would deem life coaching, which I call pastoring, which is spiritual leadership. It's ascending beyond the problem and going into your virtues and your values and your beliefs and your your story. Uh, I'm just as strong in that as I am in business. I mean, I've done $200 million in revenue for other people. I've managed over uh, $2 billion worth of products. And I'm 34, so that's very abnormal, right? But I'm just as good and just as strong and just as knowledgeable and wise when it comes to the circumstances of life. Because being a pastor, growing up in a pastor's home, you deal with human problems 24-7. Um, so that's yeah. that's the interesting, you know, parallel. So people will just bring up their stuff. And, and I tell everybody, you know, this is like, this is not the Nick show. I'm not here to help this person individually. We are all contributors in their situation to help them. So if someone says they need something and you're not going to show up for them, well, I'll just kick you out of the group. I mean, it's just I the see. bottom line because there's no value in that. Being, being valuable is being useful. So when someone says, hey, I have a problem and this is the problem and you're the master at solving it, pick up the damn phone and call them. So there's over a million dollars worth of coaching on every single mastermind call that I host. Over a million dollars worth of coaching. No entrepreneur can, is going to spend a million dollars to have a coach. So when you have all of these business owners doing multiple six, multiple seven figures, it's probably even more than a million dollars per call. Right. So right. just call the person who has the answer and they're sitting right next to you. Are so you off? Are there right. other are there other services you're offering besides the mastermind? Are you doing speaking engagements? Are you taking on any clients from a from a marketing perspective? Are you doing? Yeah. What else are you doing? Yeah. So speaking, absolutely. I'm speaking at uh, uh, DigiCon. It's uh, the, I think it's the biggest global marketing conference. I'm speaking mm -hmm. there March, uh, or excuse me, May 19th in, um, in Denver, Colorado, which would be a lot of fun. Cool. Um, but yeah, I, I love doing speaking gigs. I host a lot of my own events too. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, uh, when it comes to marketing and, and doing kind of done for you type of services, um, you know, for people who are going to work with me, it starts at $250,000 a year. If they want me to do things that I'm really good at that truly, I don't really want to do per se. <laughs> it's like, I'm kind of surpassed. Not that I'm too good to do it. It's that no, my level of consciousness and where my, my zone of genius is, is, is more in, you know, being a catalyst for people and being persuasive to people about their own abilities, which I love doing in the context of, uh, of mentor mind. And in the meantime, yeah, um, I worked with a couple of clients, hand-selected, met one in a hallway, met one in an elevator. I mean, I don't really have a scalable, repeatable process for the clients that I work with um, because it's all based on proximity. And so for both of them, um, they pay multiple six figures a year. And then I also, in one of them, I'm a partner in their coaching business. So, so uh, I earn oh. a percentage on that. Okay. All right. Very mm -hmm. good. Okay. Um, and all of this can be found on the same, the same website, right? Just that that's where they need to go. Yeah. NickCamuto.com. That's it, man. And that's, that's where all that fun stuff is and however I can contribute or help. I always tell everybody, I always tell them like, reach out. If you have a question, reach out. People very rarely do it because there's an assumption like, oh, well, he's probably too busy. I'm like ask Lisa yesterday, who I talked to, who lives, you know, uh, in, in Detroit. Um, her husband spent 40 some odd years at Ford. She did the same. She wants to be an automotive consultant and she has incredible ability. Uh, ask her if I pick up the phone when she calls. I tell mm. people all the time, just Good. reach out. 
Do you know uh, Jamie Zaman with uh, Titan CEO? Oh, that sounds super familiar. I don't know if I know him personally, but I've heard of him. Or uh, her. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, very good. All right, thank you. I want to get to um, some marketing, social media topics, kind of outside the lines questions here before we run out of time. Can I ask you a few of those? I got absolutely, I got bro. Open book, man. Yep. Okay. All right. Very good. Because I know you're the marketing guy. What are your thoughts on CEOs or business owners going on social media and blasting out opinions on hot topics or sensitive topics or whatever the topic is of the month that's, you know, flowing through and they're, they're taking a side, they're picking a side, they're screaming about, you know, whatever, like it, it, purple versus yellow or whatever. And they're like, purple is the best color and yellow is terrible. You know, whatever. What are your thoughts on that? In a world of CEOs being in all being Elon Musk. He takes, but Elon takes sides though sometimes. Certainly, but his sides are based on uh, his his belief in existential crisis and his beliefs when it comes to humanity being whole. Right. So he he posted this the other day. He said, um, "You know, free speech online will work really, really well when the ten percent of extreme extreme thoughts are both just as frustrated as one another." See what I'm saying? So he does take sides at certain times, not in that way. That's his equality perspective of they should be equally frustrated. And that's very not the case right now. It's very clear who gets banned on social media and it's conservative voices 9.9999 times out of 10. Um, and we know why that's happening and all that bull crap. But the primary thing is I think with Elon is that he thinks so much further. If he's a futurist, he's thinking so much further down the line than normal people that that's what I think that people should be responsive to. He shares his thoughts, his ideas. I mean, literally it's a, his, you know, his, his, his Twitter feed is like memes and funny things and he interacts with the everyday common man. Um, and he also blasts people for certain things when their, you know, views are outlandish or ridiculous, or there's an abuse of power. I don't know. I think he's doing it really right. I mean, I think that Elon would be one of the highest admired public figures. Who's a CEO that I could think of. I mean, nobody gives a shit about Marty Musi, who runs Paychecks. Nobody's thinking about the dude with the mustache. They don't even know he exists. So in, in my opinion, uh, you know, I look at the 2016 election and I'm like, there's a business person who never stepped foot in politics. And based on their namesake, based on their personal brand, which is their reputation at scale, he won the presidency. Bottom line. So there is a very loud benefit to being somebody who is worth watching, worth noticing, worth having a conversation with. And it is what it is. Polarization is 10 times the attractional pull than being in agreement with someone. So when you have oddball ideas like going to Mars, people are going to listen. You know, when you launch you know, 20,000 flamethrowers and you make $10 million in four days, people are going to pay attention. When you have cars that can drive themselves and while you're sleeping, they can go pick up people like Uber and you're going to make money off of that. People are going to listen. So the yeah. ideas that you're sharing, they have to be worth listening to and you have to be somebody who's worth following. And I think that's what most people miss. They want to bark and broadcast. And really what they should be doing is connecting and contributing. Mm, yeah. And Elon does that. Yeah. I'm a huge fan as well. And you're right. Yeah. He's thinking so so much further down the road than the average person, uh, which is, which is brilliant. So what are your thoughts on this whole first amendment cancel culture? Like you said, a lot, a lot of conservative thoughts online get, get crushed. Um, 
talk to me. Oh, it, it, do you think that's bullshit? Mm-hmm. Do you think, do you think Twitter, let's just use Twitter. Do you think Twitter should have the power to just turn off whoever they want? Well, they're a social government. I mean, and it depends on the purview of how you see government versus industry and then how they couldn't do it in the government. So they did it with tech. You know, let's not forget that the day that Facebook started the day before uh, that uh, DARPA ended, which was uh, called Lifebook. And you can go Google this. I mean, it's I'm pretty sure it's called Lifebook um, or Lifelog. Excuse me, Lifelog. Uh, The day that Lifelog ended as a government project, Facebook the next day was incorporated and started. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. You know, Harvard graduate. I mean, you can follow the line. So the the tech met the project and then they blended them together and created this thing, which is, you know, mass surveillance at scale. So, um, you know, so Twitter uh, as an entity of uh, social governance through, you know, basically their own platforms and APIs, technically it can do whatever the heck they want. Uh, that shouldn't be happening, of course. It's total bullshit. Um, you know, just because someone's idea is not maybe worth listening to uh in someone's opinion i don't care what seat of the side uh, the aisle they're on uh it's it should not be governed by a third-party entity that has ties to saudi arabian government and you know the list goes on <laughs> uh and to a lot of investors and you know it's just it's it's a total mess it's a dumpster fire and they were given too much power and you know uh, liberal media and uh very specifically you know on the left uh, cancel culture is, hey, if we don't like your ideas, we're going to shut you up. I, I know another group that did that in the uh, you know, 1940s. That didn't work out so well. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? And I think a lot of millennials don't know this because they just they don't understand the history. But as a 50, I'll be 55 in August. And uh, I am fascinated that that the left, the left that I knew from the 60s and 70s and, and all of that, they were the free speech. We have the right to think however we mm-hmm. want. We don't try to make us be conservative, you know, and all that. So they were the ones back then that wanted the power to say whatever they wanted. And the right was the one crushing thoughts that has totally flipped on its head. Totally and I'm, I, I'm fascinated by that. I, I'm just like, wow, how did that happen? How, how did we get there? You know, Ron Paul was the kind of red pill that I got um, when he was just beating on the drum in 2006-ish, around that time, all around, uh, you know, constitutionalism. And, you know, I'm very much a libertarian. So, like, I find myself going back to the fundamentals. States have strong power, uh, you know, focusing on individual rights and focusing on the Constitution, because those are the bylaws in which have created everything. So why not go back to the source of things? And some people might debate some of that, and that's totally fine. I'm open to having those conversations. But at the end of the day, um, you know, the same people who were hippie loving, you know, pot smoking, mushroom eating are now the people saying, wear your damn mask. Um, it's very interesting. <laughs> it's, and it's, JF- yeah, isn't that cra- it's JFK crazy. JFK today would be a <laughs> hyper conservative. And he's my favorite president of all time, besides one recent one we had. So, uh, um, sorry. Oh, yeah. robot I, I love vacuum. I love what you said right there. I want to take I want to just take a pause right there. Isn't that so interesting? The hippie loving, pot smoking, mushroom eating people from the late sixties and early seventies are the ones now crushing thoughts that are outside of their narrative and things like that's that is that's wild, man. <laughs> Shows you the power of indoctrination and educational level. 
um, uh, because that's the war that was waged 50 years ago that we're not seeing the effects of until today. And now mm, we're seeing it. Mm, and they just went under the radar and conservatives just were, they were just, uh, in my opinion, they were weak leaders for so long. Um, mm, the conservative mm, thought was, uh, was, was weak. And so now we're seeing the ramifications of that, right? Easy times, uh, you know, create, you know, soft men and then hard times create, you know, uh, that's strong a Jordan, men. that's a Jordan Peterson quote very much mm -hmm. so the um, hard times will develop something good it's just a cyclical cycle mm -hmm. do you think uh you think uh what's the latest in the news i haven't watched the last couple of days is elon gonna buy twitter is it is it stopped where are we at with that you know um you know, one way or I'm, another he'll get control of it if he wants to um it's it's they did the whole poison pill thing you know so that's going to make mm -hmm. it more difficult basically mm -hmm. where they can increase the level of shares which dilutes his you know actual stake um the bottom line is, you know, people celebrated Jeff Bezos. Oh, you know, about the, you know, Washington Post and, oh, this is so amazing. You know, the American entrepreneurial dream. And then Elon says he wants to buy Twitter and they they want to put him on the cross. It's just absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Elon is, he is so calculated that he knows he can start now getting involved in the game and he has so much money and he's so much further ahead than everybody else that it won't even matter. They'll never be able to catch up to the amount of resources that he has. Do you think... So, do you think that he wants to buy it truly because he's worried about the First Amendment and free speech and one narrative and he's just like, man, we, we've, we've got to do something about that? Or is this a money play for him? No, no, think? it's not a money play. It's, it's, he doesn't need more money. He's buying it because of, yes, First Amendment for the U.S., but for the world. The world yeah. needs a soapbox and or a, a town square to have conversations about things. And they are deliberately silencing one by one. Isn't it interesting? Al Qaeda still has their account, you know, but they have gotten rid of just minor conservative voices, like ones that don't even have a huge impact and ones that do. But it's just wild to me that uh, the dichotomy and the unbelievable levels of just like, you know, unparalleled thinking. So, you know, at the bot at the end of the day, there needs to be a town square for the world. Yeah. And I think that yeah. he understands that the risk of not having that is far greater than solving it. Now watch, uh, we'll see if he does this. We'll see if he goes and buys CNN. That's another move. Think about it. There's a trifecta, social, and then you have news, and then you have, you know, um, there's basically one other type of platform, but uh, movies. We'll see if he goes, you know, did you know that Bezos just bought M MGM? I didn't know that, no. See, so there's this trifecta, right, of these three components that are required in order to basically maintain that large I control. See. See. So Elon will either go after Hulu or one of those. I mean, this is we're just getting started. But, you know, Trump said it a long time ago. He said we have to protect Elon Musk. He's one of our great geniuses of our entire generation. He knew what he was talking about a long time. ago. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I will say I will say this to wrap this this topic up. Um, the control of information flow through the internet to human beings is one of the most important things we're going to do as a species. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, because it, it can, it, it's everything. It's everything. We, we've really, we really, you know, and Elon talks about this too, you know, the whole AI, the artificial intelligence, we have to be super careful there not to go down, not to go down dangerous paths. He's talked about that numerous times. I think it's just as critical to get a handle on the information flow through the internet to humans. And I think that's what he's trying to do. I think he's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. He's like, whoa, hold on a minute. We can't just, 
we got to have a more free platform here. We can't just have this controlling one narrative thing. And I, cause it's super dangerous. And I think he realizes that he gets it. Uh, and he's been making moves to try to fix it, which I, which I highly, which I highly respect. You said it earlier too. He's also, he's all about humanity, right? He's like, Hey, mm-hmm. the things he's focused on are, and I'm not an Elon Musk expert, so I don't want anybody to think that, but it seems to me that he's focused on the betterment of humanity, free speech, free, free platforms. What are we going to do about the uh, populating other planets? What are we going to do about protecting human beings long-term? Like he's just all about that. That's what yeah. it seems like to me, uh, which I, which I told it has you. gotten to that point for him because I think that he understands. And, and I also think his neurodiversity plays a role in that because he's not wired like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't need the control. He doesn't need the power. He already has all the money. So what? So he doesn't have the same requirements. It's almost like when Trump came into government, he didn't need. He didn't have all the old ties. They say in New York, if you want to get something done, you need money. In D.C., you need favors. He didn't play that game in D.C. Yeah. forever. So he was a free bird to do what he felt like was the right thing to do. Um, and I think Elon is very much in the same way. He just yeah. toots his own horn and he runs to his own pace be interesting to see what happens. Well, I appreciate you sharing some of those outside the line uh, uh, things with me. Um, Last two questions, because I know we're almost out of time. You're still a young man. I I didn't know you were only 34. I mean, you've accomplished a lot early on. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Really, on everything you're doing. Um, If you could go back and call your uh, 18-year-old self, or let's see, when you dropped out of that first college, you're probably 19. If you could call Mm -hmm. that 19-year-old and tell him anything based on what you know now, what would you say? Um, this too shall pass. Okay. For anybody that's going, for anybody that's going through Mm -hmm. some tough times. Okay. All right. Very good. And if you had to define your core purpose in life into, in a sentence, maybe like if you had to wrap it up into a sentence, what is that core purpose for you? Yeah. To give, uh, generously without any expectation of return. Yeah. Right. Everybody wants to do something for a favor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I just want to give because I feel like that's my mandate. I think that generosity is being a conduit with open hands. And it's interesting that you have the ability to give, but you also have the ability to receive and better is an open hand than a closed fist, closed fist. You can't give and you can't receive. You only can fight. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't operate in that space of convincing people of anything. I don't operate in the space of trying to, you know, win wars and battles uh, I really see myself as a conduit between, you know, humanity and heaven in a beautiful way. And I just want to do a good job at that. Nick, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast. I really appreciate it, man. Big love, bro. Thank you for having me.